Hi, I'm Linda Eats from Ford Asset Management, and I'm joined today by Vim Murray. Uh, Vim is one of the portfolio managers on the Ford Equity Fund. He manages the fund uh, alongside Nick Balkan and Nancy Hossack. And we're talking specifically to the movements over the last quarter, but also giving some context to the positioning of the fund and our outlook and sort of views about how things will play out from this point onwards. And here, obviously, we're talking very much about South African equities and the South African investment landscape. Uh, For those of you that don't know, our local equity fund invests exclusively in South African equities. So, Vim, looking at the last quarter, uh, the fund was slightly down in terms of absolute returns, but actually did much better than the CAPI, which is the benchmark for this fund. But the Aussie was also down similarly, sort of around three and a half percent over the quarter. But over the year to date, we've actually seen quite surprisingly, I think, if you look at the economic backdrop and all the headwinds that South Africa's faced, quite uh, strong positive numbers from this fund. So the fund after fees, looking at the B2 uh, fee class is 7.1% for the year to date. And that's actually against only slightly positive numbers from our benchmark of 1.3%. So that's a very nice outperformance of over 5% for the fund. And over the last year, that trend continues. Uh, We've just got slightly under 17% after fees versus the CAPI of just over 16. And over three years, we've also seen quite healthy outperformance of the fund relative to its benchmark in the South African market. And I think, um, you know, some of our listeners may not be as familiar with you as as some of the other portfolio managers. Uh, Vim and Nancy are more recent uh, portfolio managers of the last few years. So I like to joke with them that they've obviously uh, had the biggest impact on the returns. But Vim, uh, looking at the positioning of the fund, you know, it's a difficult landscape that we're facing here in South Africa. We talk about the fact that the fund is sort of, if we bucket it, there are three categories. There's the overseas companies. Uh, There are the SA Inc. or the sort of more domestically focused businesses. And then there's resources, which of course is an animal in and of itself. Let's talk about how the fund is currently positioned in those three buckets. Um, Let's start with the overseas companies. We've got 37%. NASPAS and Process, even though they've obviously been strong contributors to the fund over time, actually detracted over the last quarter. So we actually increased our exposure to those two stocks. Let's talk a little bit about that back at the overseas companies. What else do we have in there? Are we still um, very bullish about the valuations we're seeing for those companies? Let's start there. Yeah, thanks, Linda. So, I mean, we we continue to like the various buckets in which we do play, and we're fortunate to see value in in almost all of them. So if we were to look at the NASPERS process, there was some interesting developments during the last quarter. We we saw both the, um, the removal of the cross-holding between the NASPERS and process, which we think is is an important next step in cleaning up the structure. And then we also saw Bob van Dijk stepping down um, and being replaced by Irvin too. So both of those two we uh, developments we think are fairly interesting. So Irvin too, he's been somewhat responsible for cleaning up um, and crystallizing value within the group structure. And it remains to be seen what the strategy would be going forward. Potentially, we could see a continuation of what they've been doing, which would be negative in line with um, management actions in the past. There's actually the potential of things getting slightly better in that they do unwind and do do sell down and give back some of the value to shareholders, which we think would meaningfully contribute to, to unlocking some of the value we do see there. But then what, what has been unchanged has been our 
view of the underlying assets of which Tencent would be the main contributor. So there we continue to see upside towards what we think is fair value. We think there's, the stock is fairly fairly priced for mature business, but we think there could be potentially some surprises uh, from the earnings space going forward. And then, of course, you have the dynamic of the buyback still playing out. So both Tencent and Naspers and Proces continue to do their buybacks, and that does create a lot of value for shareholders. So on a per share basis, your exposure to Tencent actually goes up over time. Uh, and of course, we continue to like the asset. So um, any any pressure in share price, we continue to like and will will continue to add. So we view that as a, a as a fortunate outcome. And then what we also do own within that bucket, um, which is perhaps of interest, would be Anhauser. Uh, so there, we've seen some of the fallout from the Bud Light controversy in in the US. So so volumes were down roughly twenty five to thirty percent for for Bud Light. And we've we've done quite a bit of work to try and understand the likelihood of actually clawing back some of those volumes and what the impact would be on operational leverage for the group overall when you actually do see such a large extent volumes falling out of the base. So if you put it into a group context, we actually think there's almost a permanent 8 to 10% loss to earnings for Anhauser as, as a group, which is a significant number, even in the bigger context. But then fortunately, what we've also seen is some of the profitability of the rest of the business actually surprising to the upside and some of the other geographies stronger than what we anticipated. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to attend a capital markets day in Mexico uh, at the end of September. And then there you have the opportunity to talk with divisional management and to really get down into the nitty gritty of both the divisional um, businesses to the geographies, how they actually go about distributing marketing and and selling and building the beer brands and also the consumer trying to understand where the volume growth is actually coming from and what the prospects are for the business going forward. And on that basis, we we came away thinking the Bud Light volumes are likely permanently gone. We think it will be very difficult to get it back. Uh, and, and that would be incorporated in, in our expectations going forward. But then we think there's actually a very attractive margin story going into 2024 where you see uh, the raw material cost for the business actually coming down quite a bit. And if you were to look at the commodity index for the group overall, it's down about 22% year to date. So that would be a, a wonderful tailwind going into next year where you actually get to see your gross profit margins opening up and a to some extent a normalization of margins for the business going forward. And then on top of that, you actually have some um, FX strength that sits within both Mexico, Colombia and and Brazil, which would result in translating their local currency earnings back into dollars and repaying some of the debt uh, quicker than one would think. So the debt repayment story continues to play into a positive equity story in our view, and and we remain um, constructive on on the company uh, overall. So we think both of those two opportunities are are fairly interesting and, and we continue to like it. While it's interesting to talk about quarterly performance, we, we very much take a three to five year view. Um, so any new developments would need to be stacked up into whether it changes our long-term valuation and thinking around the businesses. Now, Vim, looking at the other bucket, um, I should have mentioned also that the market is roughly divided a third, a third, a third. So a third overseas companies, a third SA Inc. and a third resources. We have obviously got slightly more than a third in overseas companies, and we also have more than a third in SA Incorporated. 
Uh, now we know a lot of uh, investors are talking about the fact that the stocks there are undervalued or they're cheap, certainly in absolute terms or relative to their history. But we know why, you know, South Africa's obviously been facing an enormous amount of headwinds um, locally and also obviously as a knock-on effect from some of the global uh, impacts such as high energy prices, high food prices. But of course, we've been scoring a lot of own goals as well with load shedding and of course, you know, sort of the general deterioration in our infrastructure. And of course, there've been high interest rates as well. So looking at that bucket, you know, that's quite a big chunk of your allocation. How do we decide which SA in companies? Because surely that's dangerous. I mean, there must be companies that are going to continue to struggle. How do we actually differentiate between those and the ones that we actually think are undervalued and we will see good returns from this point onwards? Yeah. So we, we continue to be very cautious and there's a lot of the macros that you touched on that in that informs that, that view. So, I mean, uh, maybe as a starting point, we would avoid any companies with excessive gearing. If you do go into tough macros, then the one thing that can get you killed is is gearing. So even if it's just a sustained 18-month period of, of underperformance, you, you can get wiped out. So it's very difficult under under such environments to actually survive. Our focus continues to be for the more quality businesses that have proven themselves to be able to withstand the tougher times. And then, of course, we continue to favor businesses where there's a very strong management team, both in the CEO, but also in the underlying uh, middle management level. So so that would be a fairly straightforward example of where we look to, to invest during times like this. If we believe that a business is fairly well positioned, even in tough times, to gain market share and to exploit some of the weaknesses we've seen from its competitors, then we would also be willing to invest if we believe there's a fair level of certainty as to the earnings going forward. So something like a Wilson Bailey is a fairly interesting bottom-up opportunity we believe exists. So there's been the complete hollow out of construction within SA with an exodus of uh, talented employees for the country overall. And it to a very large extent, it's the last man standing that sort of gets to uh, to have the cake. So something like that would be more of a cyclical play that we believe on a bottom-up basis offers some value. Um, management is decent. We don't believe they're great. The business is decent. It's it's not great, but it's just far too cheap for what we believe to be the true underlying earnings to come from the, from the business. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that one because it's also sort of gives a, it's a good example of the, the wide range of stocks within the portfolio. Um, you know, that's, as you mentioned, much more of a value opportunity. And I think Ford is known to obviously um, prefer quality companies, but we do obviously delve into other areas of the market as well. Um, so let's look at the last bucket, that resources bucket. Now, that's a third of the market, but we actually only have 10% in resources in the fund. So it's a huge underweight for those that look relative to the benchmark. Can you just talk about that? Because, you know, we're speaking about NASPAS and process and the exposure to Tencent in China. And a lot of investors ask us, but hang on, you know, you speak about the opportunity set in Asia, and yet you low on resources. Aren't those two very strongly correlated? So maybe unpack for us why we have that quite low weight to resources and how that sort of works with our view on the Asian story. Yeah, so it's, it's important to unpack China a little bit. So what we've seen the past decade has been very strong growth coming out of China. And a lot of that has been underpinned by the property sector, which accounts for about a third of China's GDP. And what we saw was 
to an extent excessive and unsustainable um, investments going into the the property segment. So we remain very cautious of the level to which that will continue going forward. And of course, spending within property comes with huge demand for the underlying resources to actually go and build the infrastructure and, and the underlying building. So to a great extent, that has been cyclical. We think it's unlikely to continue to the same extent and there will be resulting pressure within the resources baskets. And of course, these these resource assets are highly cyclical and highly operationally leveraged towards the, the underlying commodity prices. So so we think there's a fair level of downside risk that continued to exist within these assets. We do see some value, but our weighting very much reflects how we believe on a probability weighting things play out over the next three to five years. So if you then further take a step back within the China economy, um, services and the consumer continues to play a bigger role within GDP. So if you were to simply look at services as a proportion of GDP, it used to be about 45% 10 years ago and today it's about 54%. So you can see even within the overall economy, services continue to grow faster. And that's a very natural development that you can see across the globe within countries um, moving up the GDP per capita curve. And it's something we could believe will continue to happen within uh, China as well going forward. So even though you may have slower overall GDP growth going forward, we think the services sector will continue to grow ahead of overall GDP and it continues to be a decent number. So we, we actually think the growth prospects for Tencent within that world is fairly attractive. But then importantly... Uh, the stock is priced more as being a mature asset rather than one that still has some growth to come. So we think even in a very muted outcome, we think there's some upside to, to Tencent. And then in a, in a fairly decent outcome, but by no means great, we think there's um, fairly attractive upside towards Tencent. So we continue to like the exposure towards the overall Chinese economy. And then, Vim, something that many investors don't realize is that we're still able to be nimble within local equities. I mean, Ford as a business, we manage uh, around 80 billion, but that includes all of our assets uh, locally as well as globally across all of our multi-asset strategies as well. This fund uh, has assets of around three and a half billion. And that means that we do have quite a wide opportunity set. And to back the fact up that we do actually use that wider opportunity set, about a quarter of the fund is in a combination of small and mid caps together, uh, which is more obviously than the, than the index, which is predominantly large caps if you actually look at the sizing, uh, particularly obviously of the all share index, but even the cappy. What do we look for when we look at small and mid caps? Because surely, you know, that's a more risky and I'm putting inverted commas around that for those who can't see me. Is that not a risky part of the market to invest in? And how do we actually make sure that we still protect capital investing in smaller businesses in South Africa? Yeah, the, if, if you were to simply look at the volatility that could exist within both small and medium cap, then potentially it, it is higher. We, we don't look at risk in that way. Uh, so to us, it very much comes down to the quality of the underlying business and whether they are able to produce high returns on capital deployed and the quality of the underlying earnings. And then, of course, uh, are they able to, to grow it or not? With regards to small caps, you, you are very right. To a large extent, if you decide to go into small caps, then you get married to it for at least five years. So you need to have very high visibility as to how the next five years play out. And in environments such as this, it's incredibly difficult to do. But there are certain instances, and I would give Spurs an example, where we thought there's a fairly clear 
path towards earnings recovery post-COVID. And that enables us to take the confidence. And I think at one point we had more than 10% of Spurs shares in issue. And we were happy to simply sit through any volatility as the earnings recover going forward. And and fortunately, it played out a little quicker than we thought. So that would be an example of where you are, are willing to, to get in and, and simply sit through it. But the valuation at which you participate is also incredibly important. Yeah, and then the mid-caps is a very interesting space. What we've increasingly seen in South Africa is just the hollow out of good analysts on the sell side actually covering the underlying assets. We think this creates a very attractive opportunity for anyone able to do high quality work and actually understand the businesses. Now, again, you need to take a five to seven year view to see it play out because in the short term, there's just a complete lack of interest in, in owning the assets. And oftentimes you, you need a catalyst of some sort in order to unlock the value. But as long as you write on your valuation, the value gets unlocked at some point. So we've, we found it to be a very interesting place to, to play. And it's, um, there's definitely some interesting opportunities, especially at the moment. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Spur, because if you actually look at Spur and WBHO, I should have mentioned actually at the start that those were actually two stocks that completely backed the trend over the last quarter there. Their share prices were both up close to 20% in obviously a market environment where most other stocks were in negative territory. So I suppose that also shows that having that uh, wide opportunity set also allows you to much further diversify the portfolio. So a lot of the benefit is in the portfolio construction as well, I should imagine. So lastly, Vim, uh, how would you sum up the strategy of the fund given the local opportunity set here? Well, we continue to be fairly conservatively positioned. Um, our cash holding is close to 15% at the moment. And we think that's prudent considering uh, some of the very real risks being faced by the businesses and the economy at the moment. So it's very much a function of we own in the right weighting both resources and offshore companies. And then on the local side, we think as business models get tested, there's some real risks that will emanate from that going forward. Over time, there will be opportunities as well, and we want to be positioned best to take advantage of them. As you've mentioned, we're fortunate that we can be very nimble and act fairly quickly. There's no directive to hold a large amount of cash, and we would rather sit on attractive assets being attractively priced, and we would very happily act if, if we believe the opportunities were to present themselves. Okay, thanks, Vim. Uh, thanks for your contribution. And thanks to everyone who's joined us today. Uh, we want to potentially do these more regularly, but we'd love your feedback. Did you find this useful? Uh, we would love to hear what you thought. Uh, potentially, we could be doing these on a quarterly basis, having a conversation with one of the portfolio managers. So let us know if that would make sense for you. Uh, so thank you, Vim, for your contribution. And thanks to everyone who's joined us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Linda. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. The economic views presented are drawn from facts current on the date of publication. This podcast has not been reviewed by any regulatory authority, including the Monetary Authority of Singapore or the Financial Sector Conduct Authority. Ford Asset Management Companies are a licensed FSP in South Africa and a licensed fund management company in Singapore. For more information, visit Ford.com.